Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show. Well, it's so interesting what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the power of sports as part of media. We live in an age fragmented by culture and ideology and social media and entertainment on demand from hundreds of TV channels. Cell phones distract us. Politics divide us. Yet there's one consistent that defies driving and cuts across all our personal and party lines. That is sports. More than three-quarters of the United States fans believe that sports bring people from different walks of life together, according to a national survey. And half of the fans rely on sports to bridge generation gaps within their families. So what makes a fundamentally meaningless game such a force for making meaning out of things is what Michael Serrazio talks about. His book is The Power of Sports. Media and Spectacle in American Culture, and he explores why sports matters and how sports are used to shape our beliefs far from the field of play, and he's interviewed thousands or dozens of high leader profiles, and we'll talk all about those, and how really sports reflects and influences our trends and our issues, not just in community and identity, but in technology, in commerce, in patriotism, in violence, religion, and masculinity. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much for having me, Patricia. I really appreciate the chance to Good. chat. It's Michael, right, or is it Mike? Uh, it's either one, actually. Yeah, um, you know, right. uh, uh, it's usually written as Michael, but uh, but in person, I usually go by Mike to friends, family. Okay. All right. Well, Mike, let's talk about it, it. This is so fascinating. So, in everything I just mentioned about how sports touches everything, how does sports explain and reflect life in American culture today, with everything going yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 um it's funny. We we look at sports like pop culture in general, which is to say that a lot of times it's easy to think that it's just entertainment, that it's just escape, that it's something that allows people to not think about their problems individually, that allows um, you know, the whole country to sort of escape um, the divisiveness of, of of modern life and the divisiveness of political issues. But what I find when I, when I set about researching this book is that sports can teach us a great deal about where America is at nowadays. It can teach us a great deal about um, a variety of social and cultural realities that are external to uh, what happens on the field. So, you know, the book is, is, is really not about who wins and loses um, in a given game or a given season. Um, it's not really about the players themselves. It's not about the teams. It's really about how does, how does this, this cultural tradition, this cultural practice that mm-hmm. is sports, how can it show us something really powerful and significant and reflective of where America is at at this mm-hmm. very complicated, um, yeah. um, challenging time? You know, it's interesting because we were talking beforehand about how you have written, you had written a book. And again, I, I haven't really talked about your credentials, but I do want to tell the audience, you're a faculty member in the Department of Communication at Boston College. You're an award-winning former journalist, and you've written for many publications. But I want to tie this into this other book you wrote called Your Ad Here, 
the cool selling of guerrilla marketing. And so what's interesting about this is you were just talking about how sports pervades everything. When I look at TV commercials now, Mike, many of them have sports themes. You see it all the time. Mm. Someone running mm. or they're tripping or, I mean, and you see a lot of sports celebrities in commercials today. So how does that Indeed. all tie in? Well, I would say that ties in because sports is the single thing that is keeping television alive. And let me, let me put that as simply really? as possible. Without, sport, without sports, television is dead as we know it. But wait a minute. Wait a um, minute. What you, about news? What about all the news shows? Like oh, on the, CNN the, the, and the, MSNBC? The, um, and- the way- the way in which news has been fragmented has been um, has been um, um, uh, segmented uh, compared to previous generations uh, is I astonishing. Um, so, so by by that I mean when I say that, yeah. that that without sports TV is dead, I'm referring to the fact that sports is the last thing that mass amounts of audiences consume live. Virtually nothing else in our culture nowadays commands people to watch it when it's being aired. If you think about this across a variety of dimensions, television shows, they can be DVR'd, they can be watched at a later time, they can be streamed right. without commercial, right. um, pod, you know, radio, uh, it does not have to be watched on the spot, it, you, can watch, you can listen to a podcast at a later date, um, right. virtually any type of cultural content we don't have to consume when it is produced for us, except for sports. Mm-hmm. Sports is the one exception right. to that. Right, you want to see it is, live. Right. Exactly, because sports right. has no value once you know the score. And so because of that, that has made it incredibly lucrative to the advertising industry. That is the thing well, that is keeping the lights on at ABC, can I, Fox, yeah, NBC. Can I just say one thing? The only thing that, that I would say is comparable to that, but it's not regular, would be award shows. You know, music and, and theater award shows. That's also live, Indeed. and you have to know the results right away. But it's not often like sports. Yeah, it's not as regular, but you're precisely right. It's live quality is is what drives the audiences to that moment when it's airing on a Sunday night, what have you. But you get the Oscars once a year. You get the Tonys right. last night. Right. You, you know, right. um, sports has that same power of coordinating people's schedules, synchronizing their lives. But it happens right. every single day, and it happens monumentally right. uh, during the playoffs because, every year. Because if they don't watch live, they don't see what's go- they don't see the score. They don't see the end result which is what people right. want to know right on the spot. That's the difference. Exactly. And, and to go back to your earlier point, this makes sports extremely lucrative to the advertising industry. Yeah. So they know that if you want to, um, if, if you want to create a commercial that'll, that'll c- capture the attention of, of mass amounts of Americans, sports is a pretty, pretty solid way to do that. You still have, um, you still have megastars, you still have um, celebrities that are produced in that realm, and that all makes it extremely valuable. When you look at the, the, um, the U.S. market for sports, it's about $70, yeah. $70 billion dollars uh, is, yeah. the sport, is the U.S. sports well, market if you're talking about rights and advertising and so on and so amazing. forth. Amazing. So we're in an age now, I hate to say this, but we are in fake news and alternative facts. And, but, but sports really kind of has that, that stimulation, that simulation of faith and truth. So does that mm. offer a glue that, you know, maybe other areas don't? It does, um, and I'll go a step farther. Uh, in the book, I argue that sports is filling the vacuum uh, that religion left behind. Um, mm. So, if you look at the, if you look at the, the the research on it, there's probably about 60 million Americans who are religiously unaffiliated nowadays, mm-hmm. and 
um, one of the arguments of the book is that um, sports provides people many of the things that they might have gotten in previous centuries from religion. So it gives people a sense of tribalism, which is something that religion has always provided, right? This is my tribe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, my team. It, it provides people a sense of good and evil. My team is good. Their team is evil. This is something, this is the language that religion provides. And it also offers a kind of sense of regular hope, right? You're, if you're a sports fan and your team loses a lot, you're, you're told, you know, have faith, believe, you know, it'll be better next year. And all of those messages are fundamentally religious in texture. And for people who otherwise might be religiously unaffiliated, who might not you know, identify with any faith tradition, they're getting from sports the things that religion delivered for, for millennia. Interesting. However, there are some things, for example, traditionally we've looked at this with male identity you know, as a male mm. sport. Not now, but now we have gendered anxieties. We have ethical concerns over violence in sports, struggles of mm. female journalists. I mean, we hear things about football and concussions and, you know, people that are really starting to talk about the hazards, if you will, of sports. Talk about that. Yeah, this is another big part of the book that I was interested in exploring is how does sports tell us what the proper roles for men and women are. And historically, um, sports has really uh, been a very dominant male subculture. Um, um, For for millennia, really, it's been a way of sort of defining male identity um, and defining male identity in a very particular way. Tough, macho, stoic, willing to withstand pain. So some of the trends that you described a second ago with regard to concern over concussions, with concern uh, or uh, the increase in the number of female sports journalists who are working in the business, all of these are changing, um, are changing the landscape of, of what, we, what we know about gender within the experience of sports, and it is making it more complicated, and it's also challenging, I think, a lot of the, the sort of dominant assumptions about, you know, um, that, that sort of, uh, the, the sort of macho male instinct that has dominated not just on the field, but also in terms of the media as well. So it's an issue. I mean, that's coming up more now than it did like 20 years ago, right? We weren't talking about these things the way we are now. We weren't as sensitive, I don't think. No, there's no question. There's no question that the culture has become more sensitive to the brutality of of sports. And and here we're talking in particular about the most popular one, which is football. There's no Mm -hmm. question that, um, you know, nowadays when we see someone, you know, just just laid out, clocked on the field for a big hit, there is a little bit less celebration of that, and there's a little bit more anxiety about precisely Mm. what that has done to his brain and what the long-term consequences of that. And you're seeing this chip away at some of the NFL's popularity. You're seeing this creep into some of the media's coverage of it. So you have, you have uh, journalists and, and um, uh, media figures who are expressing anxiety about making money off of a blood sport like football. There's a, there's a fundamental mm-hmm. ethical question about whether or not one can ethically be a football fan nowadays. And that's something that I, as a football fan myself, struggle with because, you know, it is something that is fundamentally a violent sport that we are, we can't hide from the reality of that as we once could have. Very interesting. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are talking more to Michael Serrazio. His book is The Power of Sports, Media and Spectacle in American Culture. Michael Serrazio is an award-winning former journalist who has written for the Washington Post, The Atlantic, and other outlets. 
He is now a faculty member in the Department of Communication at Boston College, where he studies media production. And when we come back, we'll talk about sports in terms of sexism and where we are in terms of um, just our whole culture with gender and gender roles. And we'll talk more about a little bit about machismo in sports and then about Me Too and Black Lives Matter and all of these, um, in a way, political and cultural and racial issues that we're now talking about in our society and where sports fits in. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We'll be right back with Michael Serrazio right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. We are back. My guest is Michael Serrazio. He's an award-winning former journalist who's written for The Washington Post, The Atlantic, and other outlets. He's now a faculty member of the Department of Communication at Boston College. His new book is The Power of Sports, Media and Spectacle, in American culture. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. So, yeah, let's talk about, again, the sports culture. I want to bring in this whole thing of sexism and gender, Mm. you know, and we have to really look at the LBGT community too, LGBTQ Mm. community, because there's, Mm -hmm. it's very prominent. Where does that all Mm -hmm. fit in now with sports? 
Yeah, well, for sure that um, sports culture has long been really inhospitable to, uh, uh, to, to the experience of women. Um, I focus in the book especially on the experience of female journalists. Um, at, you know, I interview... Overall, in the book, I interview about 60 different folks, and um, I tried to um, I tried to oversample uh, the number of um, female uh, sports journalists that I spoke with because I really wanted to get a sense of what was their experience like. Because um, again, there there is such an overwhelming amount of um, male voices in the in the sports media realm. Um, something like more than 90% of, um, of, of the sports media tends to be male. And so what I discovered is, you know, even though it's been three or four decades, well, maybe four or five decades now, since the first female sports journalist really broke through that glass ceiling uh, and, and had the opportunity to work as print reporters, as, you know, TV uh, anchors, um, they still experience tremendous backlash, tremendous hatred, tremendous harassment, especially via social media and Twitter. Um, and they're often, they're often caught in this really tricky bind, which is to say that they're judged based upon appearance in a way that no male counterpart would ever be expected to face. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also not allowed to voice their opinions as loud, brash, opinion-oriented pundits in the same way that, that male uh, sports media folks um, are allowed to, to participate in. So um, even though you see an increasing number of women working in the sports media, the patterns that emerge from my research suggest that it's still very regressive and still very inhospitable uh, to women reporters and, and women mm. journalists. Mm. What about the players themselves in terms of sexism and gender roles? Yeah, so we're on the cusp uh, tomorrow of the, the opening uh, a match for the U.S. women's national soccer team, uh, which brings tremendous promise. Four years ago, uh, when, they, when they won the World Cup, I think it was a terrific moment for um, the advancement and progress of women's sports. But, you know, even as, as, as much as I found that thrilling and as, as excited as I was that that, you know, um, uh, became so popular four years ago, the reality is that women's sports is covered much less and much less respectively than men's sports. If you look at the statistics, you know, women's sports gets about 2 or 3% of the coverage that men's sports gets in the media. And not only that, it tends to be covered in very marginalizing ways. Um, you know, and, and so when I, when I was doing interviews for this book, and I, I wanted to find out why is that the case? Why is it that we continue to not see much progress in terms of equality when it comes to how much women's sports is covered? What I discovered was there was this sort of terrible circular logic that, that sort of um, exists within the media industry, which is that... The executives at ESPN, the executives at Fox Sports, the executives who run sports media um, think that no one watches women's sports, and so they don't put the resources behind it. And mm-hmm. because they don't put the resources behind it, it becomes harder to, to, to draw big audiences. So mm-hmm. if women's sports was given the same marquee billing that the NBA finals is being given right now, if it was given the same hype that the Super Bowl is given every January, well, then you'd have then you'd have probably equal interest and equal attention. But the reality is that the sort of economics and the sort of systematic institution of sports media does not give women's sports the attention that it deserves, which is really sad because, again, four years ago, and I, and I hope again this year, the U.S. women's soccer team was an extraordinary delight uh, that the nation really was in thrall of and deserves far better in terms of its treatment from the media. 
Yeah. And and taking that one step further from women, now more to the to Me Too movement, but also mm. the Black Lives Matter movement. So bringing mm. it, you know, with sexism and, and racism, let's talk about the fault line between conservative and more liberal journalists when covering the topic of health dangers in sports. And again, these movements like Me Too and Black Lives Matter, how do the coverage of these topics change, you know, in terms of sort of the apolitical nature of sports? Yeah. So, um, three years ago when Colin Kaepernick, uh, took a knee, uh, during the singing of the national anthem, uh, to protest police violence against African Americans, that represented a major turning point in the history of sports, in the history of sports politics, in the history of, um, um, racial activism in sports. Um, for most of the last 20 or 30 years before that, uh, being apolitical was the default setting. We, we don't know what Michael Jordan's politics are. We don't know what Tiger Woods' politics are. We don't know where they stand on political issues because it's much more lucrative to not take a stand. It's much more, you know, Nike, Nike doesn't want Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods saying whether they think a Republican or a Democrat should win the White House. It's much safer, it's much more lucrative for athletes to stay out of politics, which is what made right. the Black Lives Matter activism of two years ago, three years ago, so powerful and profound because it was risking a tremendous, uh, a tremendous amount of money. And as it did sort of bear out, um, you know, fans, uh, there, there was backlash against that from fans, there was backlash against that from the conservative media. Um, and so it was a risk. And, um, you know, it did cause, I think, uh, consternation from the perspective of those who want to see sports as simply a profit making enterprise, as opposed to a space where people care about what's right and wrong. Mm. Michael, why did you write this book? What was the passion and what is what do you want the listeners to get from this? What's the real because you have a lot of messages in here. What's the overall message? I do. Yeah, I'm a sports fan. I grew up playing sports. I continue to to watch them. And what I've discovered over the years is the most interesting thing about sports has nothing to do with sports at all. The mm. most interesting thing about sports is what they can tell us about what goes on off the field. And that for me was really what I wanted to do with this book. I really wanted to investigate and discover what it was that sports could tell us about all of these facets of American life, what sports can tell us about religious experience, what sports can tell us about um, you know, political issues, what sports can tell us about gender roles. And I think that you know, that's one of the things about any, any, any art form, really, which sports is, is that any art form, like sports, can tell you a great deal about the way the world is and the way the world should be and could be. And so, ideally, with the book, um, folks will, will, will hopefully be able to take away a little bit more appreciation that, you know, these games that, that many people love are not just dismissible as separate from life, but rather they can tell us a great deal about some of the most important and consequential aspects of our lives and of our nation. Michael, do you think that in the future, because gender roles are changing, because we have more Me Too and Black Lives Matter, because of female journalists, because, um, you know, just things are changing. Do you think sports will change even in the way that even in the way sports are promoted, the way it's advertised on television, the way that media outlets pick it up? Do you see a change coming in the future is the question? I hope so. Um, 
I'm an optimist. I, I you know, instinctively, I, I try to think that the conditions of tomorrow will be better than the conditions of today. And I think you will see some improvement. But my suspicion is that those things will move very slowly. Um, mm. And whatever progress we, we hope uh, to see both in the sports world and beyond the sports world will happen extremely slowly. And for each step forward, there, you know, for each two steps forward, there's a step backwards. And so, um, you know, as, as much as I'd like to be an optimist on it, my reading of history also suggests that there will be regression, there'll be backlash, and um, those challenges will persist. But, but again, I'm, I'm what, what, you know, I guess I said it already, you know, you have faith, believe, hope that, you know, your yeah. team will do better yeah. next year and hope that the sports world will do better next year as well. What, what comments are you getting? What feedback are you getting to the book? What are some of the comments people are making? Well, I mean, to this point, you know, the reviews on Amazon, a few, a few reviews from, ver- from um, you know, book review websites have been, have been positive. I appreciate that. I guess the thing that I'm most delighted about is that, yes. knock on wood, uh, you can't see me knocking on wood right now, but um, I have not yet heard that I've made a factual mistake in the book, which as a former Good. journalist, I live... I live in fear of forever. Um, huh. And so, you know, for me, the, again, I'm knocking on wood, fingers are crossed. Um, you know, the, the, my, my concern as a, as a former journalist and, and, and someone who wrote this book with a kind of journalistic approach, my concern always first and foremost is getting it right, getting it accurate, getting it true. Um, facts matter. There are real facts, uh, no matter what the current moment um, feels like it's telling us. Um, and so, you know, I guess, I guess above all, I'm, I'm just grateful that um, it would appear that, um, you know, factually nothing's been wrong in the book. I, I have no doubt that people will disagree with some of the arguments. Uh, I have no doubt mm-hmm. that people will disagree with some of the takes. But, you know, I don't think I spelled anybody's name wrong. And so, uh, <laughs> so I'm hopeful that that will persist. So how would you like to close this? What's your final message to our listeners? What would you like their takeaway to be? I think the takeaway would be that sports are really valuable. It's one of the last things in our culture that brings us together. It's a very fragmented moment. It's a very fragmented culture, a very divided culture politically. And sports is a tradition, a practice, an art form that does have the power to unite people. And that is powerful and that is meaningful. But we can't simply assume that it's just all good stuff that sports delivers. It also brings in so many of the problems that exist outside of sports, and we can't be um, ignorant of those. So I, I, you know, I, I finished the book very ambivalent about sports. There's things that I love about it. There's things that I hate about sports. And hopefully the reader will also take away some of that ambivalence um, because uh, there really is two sides to the experience of sports culture. Right. But, but again, you're showing us different sides and also the value. Mm-hmm. As you said, I think I, the whole value is it's like a tribal system. We can all watch it no matter what our race, faith, religion, we can all look at sports. So there's, there's something Indeed. there. Not all sports, but, but many of them, many of them. Thank you so much. You were wonderful. It was great to have you on the program, Michael. And how can people find your book? Uh, well, it's available on Amazon. Um, uh, I think actually it's it's on discount right now for I think like it's running like six bucks on Amazon right now. Um, and um, I'm on I'm on email Serazio uh, S E R A Z I O at B C dot E D U. I'm on Twitter at Michael Serazio. Um, I, I I would love to to uh, to engage and to uh, chat with any of the listeners. And I I hugely appreciate the chance to uh, to share the work with you today, Patricia. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps Thank up you. this half hour. Stay tuned. We have another interview coming next right here on voiceamerica.com. The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.